Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and today on the show, we have Sam Knickerbocker from samknickerbocker.com. Sam is an expert in helping people to create a legacy and not just a financial one. He is one of 11 kids. He's number seven in that row, and he's got one hell of a story to tell. So let's get started. G'day, everyone. I trust that you're well and you and your family and business are also doing well. Now, if you haven't already checked out the new Go All In website, I encourage you to pop on over to goallin.com.au and take a look at our brand new hub for startups and entrepreneurs. We've got some great free training and some free giveaways there as well. And there's a whole bunch of new products that have been added to the hub recently. So pop on over to goallin.com.au to find out some more. Now, if this is your first time here at the Go All In podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here. This podcast is for you if you're starting out in business, considering a business, or you've been a seasoned entrepreneur for years. My guests and I will give you the strategies and the tactics that you need to help you to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be faster than you ever thought possible. To get there, you're going to have to work hard, learn some new things, and Most of all, you're going to have to go all in. And I created and I do this show because there's nothing I like more than eliminating roadblocks and shortcutting the path to success. In fact, I can't wait to celebrate your success with you. So make sure you reach out to me via social media or via email and let me know about the wins that you're having. Before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this on YouTube, just scroll down and hit the subscribe button there. And don't forget to ring the bell. That way you'll always have some motivation and some go all in love right there in your pocket. Lastly, if you like what you hear today, please share this episode with your friends and your family. Sam's got an important message to share and he's got a pretty, pretty incredible story, really. And if we can help just one person to break through their barriers and get unstuck, then Sam and I would have done our job here on the podcast today. All righty, let's get into this one. Sam's passion is to teach 21st century financial habits to those people that are hungry to reach the next level in their lives. And he does that by establishing their foundational beliefs, and he creates habits that transform the average life into a legacy of meaning. Sam's been mentoring families and entrepreneurs on money mindset for more than seven years, and he's seen massive transformation and great results for his clients in the process. And he's made it his life's purpose to teach mothers, fathers, and entrepreneurs just like you how to identify their desired legacy and establish the necessary foundation to last throughout the generations and maintain a high income in the process. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Sam Knickerbocker. Sam Knickerbocker, welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Yeah, thank you. I'm super excited. Well, I'm looking forward to doing this one because the last two podcasts that I've recorded have been about property. Uh, And the first one was a little bit about legacy. And the second one was about busting through and doing whatever it takes to succeed and go all in. So I'm really looking forward to getting a bit of a bit more of a holistic view because that was a bit nuanced and narrow, just talking about the one sort of thing to help you create legacy. And I know that you're kind of more than a one trick pony like that. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Before we get into any of that today, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from and how how did you get into this crazy finance world that you're in now? Yeah, no, fantastic question. Love sharing it. Um, so I'm from a family of 11 children. I'm the seventh of 11 kids Gosh. growing up. Um, my parents, they were, and we, we grew up in poverty for where we were at that those standards poverty for where we were at. They were pizza hut drivers. 
um, just making odd money where they can. I think my dad worked and bounced around in construction and just just humble beginnings, not a lot there. In fact, the house we moved into, so six months after I was born, born in my grandma's living room, my dad's a midwife, so I decided to Gosh. save on costs, just learn how to deliver babies. <laughs> yeah. So six months after I'm born, we move into this house in the next town over and they had tried to build a second story onto it. So think of like the, the shrieking shack from Harry Potter, right? It's just dilapidated old house. And they tried to build a second story, but the foundation was only built for one story. So they'd actually, con- the city condemned the home before we bought it. We had to go section by section, digging out around the foundation, rebuilding the foundation one, like one four foot section at a time. And before we could finish up that top story, um, just, just crazy circumstances with that poverty came a lot of um, emotional abuse and physical abuse. And not, not again, I want to be clear. I love my parents. All of our, all of our siblings are still together. My parents are, are married still. So no divorces came out of it. Um, but she, my mom was, she was, she was having babies or breastfeeding for like 30 years straight. So like, the, just the, yeah, it's incredible. The amount of toll that takes on a, on a human body is just insane. Um, so I don't hold anything negative there, but just understand it was, it was not a great situation. By the time I was about 16, I, started, well, I was actually got my first full-time when I was 11, first full-time job, starting earning income, just wasted my money. Uh, And then by the time I was 18, I went out and I was knocking doors, selling pest control. And I made basically in in three months what my dad, his annual salary was um, without bonuses. And I was like, this is crazy. Um, But I was broke. I I had spent all my money before I really got it. Um, In the summer sales industry, you get paid a little bit up front and then a big back end. Well, I had gone into debt because I knew I was going to have all this money come in the back end, (laughs) which is stupid. But uh, then I finally went to school, college, and I decided I wanted to study um, psychology, figure out why the family was the way it was. How do I help people avoid anxiety, depression, suicide, um, domestic violence, divorce, all the really social issues we all deal with in every country. They're, they're prominent. And so I studied psychology, then neuropsychology to find out why the brain was structured the way it was, went into biochemistry, um, because the brain is basically structured based on the chemical environment it's, it's raised in. So I was like, well, why would somebody choose to stay in a negative chemical environment if it doesn't serve them like evolutionary? Why, why do we do this to ourselves? And it really came down to, in the sociology research, lower income households have more of these social issues than higher income households do. And it's not that higher income households don't have the social issues like, they have them, but when they have them, they have the resources to actually get the help they need. At, whereas in the lower income households is when these um, social issues come up, they turn to addiction, abuse, drugs, sex, porn, whatever, like all these things that they're turning to rather than getting the help they need. And so when I, once I discovered that I switched my whole focus and went into just teaching people how money works and how to have a healthy relationship with money. I think of money like, um, like a woman, you know, like you got to fall in love with her and (laughs) having a love hate relationship with your intimate spouse that you can't divorce, like try and operate in a world without money. Good luck. And so like, you can't divorce this chick, but it's a love hate relationship. It's a, it's an abusive relationship mm-hmm. um, that needs to be healed at its core before you're ever going to really find financial success in my experience. 
Yeah, I love it. It's um, it's such an important topic. You know, people say that money is not everything, and I I tend to agree with them. But it's right there next to oxygen, um, <laughs> because in the modern world, you gotta you gotta have it to survive. And if you want to thrive and prosper, um, it, you know, you've you've gotta you've gotta get that under control and make that work for you. I, I speak to a lot of Americans on this podcast, which is really um, it's good for me because it's there's. Americans look like us. They sound like Aussies. They they kind of feel like Aussies a little bit, but you guys are completely different to us. <laughs> I find there's uh, some big gaps between um, our cultures and the way that you guys approach things and do things and the way that Aussies do it as well. And, and I like it because it's in a really good way because you guys have discovery of stuff that we have and we have discovery of stuff that you have. And it's a really nice thing to see. But one of the things that I see that is very, very close and almost identical and in some ways, I think Aussies are a little bit more fortunate. But if you're willing to have a go, you can get a go. And by that, I mean, you guys would claim that you come from the luckiest country in the world. And we also claim we come from the luckiest country in the world. So there's kind of no excuse. There's no excuse for you not to have a go at something and uh, to free yourself of that bad relationship with money or that negative love hate relationship that you have with it. Because if you really dig deep and you get your mindset squared away and you get your focus and your attention on the things that matter and get them off the things that don't matter and you have a go in our societies, I think we're set up to actually win and to win big time. Has that been your experience? It's certainly been my experience here in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. It's been mine as well. There's really no, I think the biggest thing holding people back. uh, Well, I think there's, if I were to say it's two things, one is mindset, but I think more specifically is epigenetics um, because people don't recognize that things that happened multi-generations ago, um, they're still affecting them today. And so they think, oh, I, nothing, nothing traumatic has happened in my life. Nothing's bad happened in my life. Why do I have this negative relationship? What you don't realize is like, what a lot of people don't realize is the body, the human body is actually being created inside of another human body that was created inside of another human body. And we are all just balls of energy floating around this universe, vibrating at frequency. So when that frequency decides to clone itself into another being, it's, it's, it's a clone. It's an exact clone basically of all of that frequency. That DNA has been shorted out, chipped, cut, whatever. And then it's duplicating those DNAs. And that's a prop. It can come into a problem. Now that the benefit of that, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I love the stories of the parables of Jesus, whether, and who says whether they're true or not, I choose to believe they're true, but it's Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, the, The way I think of it is the reason that one person can have that level of control or perform what we consider miracles is simply a a greater level of understanding of how the laws of nature work. If it's all just energy, as soon as you figure out how to manipulate and control energy, then if you're dealing with a broken synapse, if you're dealing with something that just isn't connecting right, you have this bad thought process, this bad language pattern, whatever, it's as easy. And I say, I should say it's as simple, not easy. It's as simple as commanding the energies to go back to their proper and and perfect form and it's done. But most people are so unaware that they're even broken that they never make an attempt to right the wrongs or to fix those, those broken synapses. I love it, mate. I love I love going deep and, and meaningful right on the very front end of the podcast. Thanks for sharing that with us and sharing a little bit of yourself with us as well. 
right, uh, Sam, people come on over to the Go All In podcast, mate, to learn more about others that have gone all in and they've done whatever it takes to succeed. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Yeah, no, fantastic. So there's, again, a lot of, a lot of who I am stems from a religious narrative that I was taught. So just accept that I accept all religious narratives. I love them. But one, one religious narrative that I was taught was that, um, basically Christ for, for Christ atoned for our sins and doesn't, and is able to make it so we don't have to feel bad about ourselves. Right. So we have this belief, but what, oftentimes people end up doing is they believe in Christ, but they don't really believe the story of Christ very often. Mm. Um, and, and my, my evidence for this is one, my own personal story, but you'll see yourself in this personal story. So out of all this abuse, all this childhood trauma that I went through, I held that, um, on, as a chip on my shoulder in some way towards my, uh, towards my family, my mom, my dad, all the, all these people that I held responsible for me, being who I am and all the stuff that happened to me. What I found was I was sitting there reading a book, rocking my, I'd moved out. So I moved out of my house when I was 14 to 15 years old and lived with my second oldest brother. Um, I was rocking my niece to sleep. I'm reading this book called the peace giver by, um, I forget the, I think it's Arbinger Institute. So I don't know who it is, but peace giver. And there's a story in here where they're talking about David, uh, who's a vagabond. He's just traveling through the the wilderness. And he's like, Hey, we, he sends a messenger ahead, tells this guy, we need some food. And then he, the guy says, no, I'm not giving you any food. I'm not giving you anything. So the messenger comes back. So David says, fine, I'm going to go demolish everything and, and take the food. I'm going to kill you, kill everybody in there. And I'm gonna take the food. Well, the guy's wife gets wind of this. She gathers everything that David wanted, comes out in the desert, meets him, gives him the stuff, uh, kneels down, says, Hey, please don't um, hold my husband accountable for that. Just accept this offering and, and be done with it. So David turns around and he's like ready to go. Well, all of his men, they're still fuming that somebody disrespected their leader or whatever. So they still want to go get some blood. And David's like, nope, we're done here. And they move on. So what this lesson taught me as, as this penny drops in my mind, um, if I choose to believe in Jesus Christ and that his his death or resurrection or whatever, that what he did on this planet meant anything for me, then I have to also allow that to mean something for others. And at any point in time, when I then demand more justice for somebody else's action than what he did on this planet um, covers, then I am effectively cutting myself off of any mercy from him myself. And when, when that finally hit me, that was when I, my whole life transformed and I was like, okay, everybody in my, in my life is forgiven. Uh, and, and from that day, I can, I can, I can really count on like one hand, how many times I've ever been angry um, or held malice or raised my voice to somebody mm. from like out of anger. Like it just doesn't happen. And because I just realized, man, I'm a, I'm screwed myself. I just need all the help I can get. So I just love people. And I think that's the biggest, like go all in. What if you really just chose to seek for understanding and love everybody, like just find out how can that um, be there? And so that was the biggest thing for me, major transformational moment. Second major transformational moment was I was at a business conference. He was walking me through my psyche and, um, 
I still was being held down because I thought I had to be perfect. When I was younger, my mom taught me the ABCs. This is my, this is my recollection of it, right? She says this didn't happen and I'm not telling her she's wrong. I don't know. This is my recollection of it. That um, if I would screw up on the ABCs, we have these flashcards. If I'd screw up a few times, then we'd end up in the bathroom and she'd be whipping me for, for not knowing my ABCs. You know, I'm six, seven years old and I, literally my ABCs were beat into me from, from my perspective. Well, uh, for a long time, I told myself this story that if I didn't do it perfectly, if I screwed up at all, then I would get beat. That I was, I was scared of this subconsciously. Well, I was at this business conference. He brings this out inside of me and I realized, okay, I'm actually a 24 year old man. And if I screw up in my business, nobody's going to beat me. Nobody, yeah. like nothing is, nothing's going to happen anymore. And yeah. so letting go of that belief that failure was not an option actually allowed me to make failure, not an option. Does that make sense? Like I, yeah. I was fully able to invest all into my business and be willing to screw up and willing to just put stuff out there, become present because I was no longer worried about me showing up imperfectly or somebody else finding out about my flaws. Look, I got plenty of crap that going on in my life. Mm. Um, I was finally willing to expose all of that. And that's the biggest thing. Vulnerability is the ultimate connection. And most people miss that. Mm, I love it, man. I love it. Thank you for sharing those stories. And, and they're, they're fairly, they're vulnerable stories and they're very personal as well. And I, I love, I love your story of faith and of religion. And I'm not a religious person at all. Um, and in, in some ways I'm a little bit jealous of people who have that faith in religion and things like that. They have that in their life. Cause I can see, and I'm not jealous of the religion. I'm jealous of what they have because I can see how that drives them and how that's such a good thing. So, and I love hearing stories like that. And that's what the whole point of this podcast is, right. Is to share those stories and to share people's experiences like that. Yeah. I mean, just, just if I can add, cause the big thing for me, and this is why I said narrative at the very beginning. Um, so my mom, so we were raised in a very religious family. And then when I was 14, this is kind of what led to me leaving the house. But my mom came and said, Hey, look, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in any of this. And it's just like through my whole, I mean, imagine somebody you trust, somebody you look up to sort of, um, all this stuff, just telling you, Hey, everything you believed about them, everything I've taught you was wrong. And what was key about my mom is she preached our whole life, integrity, mm. integrity, integrity, be who you are, regardless of what people think. And then come to find out she was living out of integrity pretty much the whole time, or that was my perception of it. Mm. And that was, that's a hard thing, right? When you meet your, your hero or whatever, and you find out that they're not who you thought they were. Yeah. And what, what I found though, was that during that process leading up to that conversation, we were homeschooled and we studied tons of different religions. Like I can't, even when I find a new religion that I haven't studied already, then I start studying because I just want to know like, what is it you believe? And what I found is most religions, their, their narratives, they're a little bit tribish, maybe cultish with, for purposes of, of segmenting and protecting their, their tribe and belief system. But when you look at the big picture, it's all the same story. So, Mm. I could have a conversation with you. You could have no religious affiliation, no belief in God, whatever. And we could talk just about like, have a purely technical scientific conversation. Mm. And the truth is still the truth. The difference is what narrative are you using to teach it to the younger generation? That's what's beneficial about the story of Christ is there's a narrative where for a two-year-old feeling bad, you're feeling sorrow, you hurt somebody, whatever, just telling that two-year-old, Hey, you don't need to feel bad for that. They don't understand it that well. But if instead I say, hey, look, you're going to give your all those bad feelings, all that negative energy, you're going to give it to this fictitious being over here. He's going to be responsible for it. You don't need to feel bad about those things. 
it then allows them to release that negative energy rather than holding on to it. So I think it's an important concept of understand like what was the purpose of the narrative? Yeah, right? is it that Christ really walked the earth? I don't know. I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Who yeah. actually knows? Even the Bible was written forty, sorry, four hundred some odd years after it supposedly mm. happened. Like really. I mean, it hasn't been 400 years since America became a country. Like you got to be really like serious about this. Like, really? Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a skeptical religious person, uh, but, but I still stick to the narratives because I think they're very, very beneficial in teaching how to uh, release negative energy and step into positivity and creation rather than victimhood. Uh, Cause I don't think vi- being a victim is beneficial. It doesn't serve no. me and my objectives. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And and I love, I love how it's kind of like a, uh, it's like a release, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when you realize that, Hey, everything's okay. And well, I, I was, <laughs> I was looking at some YouTube videos the other day and uh, you know, as a podcaster, this is what I do for a living and you know yourself as a podcaster as well, always looking for uh, an interesting question to ask and something a little slightly different and saying it a different way and nuanced. And, you know, my, my goal is always to get somebody to say, Hey, that's a good question. So that means I've, I haven't asked the same question again that I have for the last five podcasts. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. um, I'm always aiming at that. And I saw a funny little skit from, uh, from Jocko Willick. And <laughs> Jocko says, so people ask me all the time on these interviews and these podcasts that I do, you know, if I could go back and have a conversation with my 20 year old self, what would I say? And Jocko kind of looks squarely down the barrel of the camera and he says, it doesn't matter. I can't change the past. I can't do anything about it. And that, that to me has a lot of parallels to what it is that you're talking about in letting go and having that faith and also letting go of that perfection. And when you let go of those things that have happened to you in the past and you let go of those things that you can't really control in the future, you really start to live in the present. And I can tell in your voice when you're sharing that story, that's a very present minded thing that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I I love it. I think it's a, I, I can't imagine, honestly, I can't imagine any other way of being at this point in my life. And it frustrates the hell out of my wife sometimes because she's 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 just gaining this perspective. But I've been doing it for 14 years. She's been doing it since we got married four years ago. And she's like, oh, man, why can't I just think like that? How do you think this way? I'm like, I, it's just a natural thing to yeah. be this way. It's not like I'm thinking about processing through stuff. It just happens instantaneously. I did, however, uh, I created a journal. It just got published on Amazon called identify your identity, redefine your defining moments uh, with four questions that I use. Like, this is how I process information. What are the facts? Remove all emotion from the facts. And just like what factually happened. Then how do the facts make you feel? Like, how how do you choose to feel based on those facts? What could also be true? And that question is key for brainwashing yourself to have the best possible, like everybody has the best possible intentions. This is serving me. And then the last one is what I learned and what am I grateful for? So no matter what happens in my life, I end with the creation of this is for my benefit. I learned something. I'm grateful that I had this experience. So there's not a bad day in my life because everything is for my benefit. And, and that's a choice that I brainwash myself with, right? You can brainwash yourself however you want. A lot of people brainwash themselves with fear rather than, than with love. Yeah. And as soon as you start doing that consciously, your life will transform. And it's a, it's a really, it's a really cool thing.
Well, Sam, thank you for sharing that, mate. It's a, uh, a deeply personal story, as I said, and I really appreciate you uh, being vulnerable and sharing that with us. And I, I want to move off that now, and uh, I want to talk a little bit more about what it is you do in your business and um, and what you talk about. And I see in a lot of the marketing material that you have on the front of your website, in your socials and whatnot, you talk about legacy a lot. And I mentioned at the top of the show here that I'd done a couple of podcasts uh, relating to property in the last few shows and last few episodes, which has been really good. And one of the the topics that we talked about on one of those ones with uh, a colleague of mine, Selena, is legacy. And here in Australia, I'm not sure what it's like there in the US, but the people that have the opportunity to create a legacy here in Australia rarely do it. And by that, I mean, they rarely do it in a way that's meaningful because what happens is once they pass on, they, they pass across what it is that they've acquired during their lifetime to their kids. And usually their kids either spend it all, lose it all, and their kids, meaning the grandkids, have to start again and it goes again. And the people that actually get to the point where they create annuity, recurring income, and all sorts of legacy that you would think that people could create is something like 0.05 of a percent. It's a really tiny amount of the population that actually do it. And I wasn't aware of those statistics, and Selena was telling me about that in, in, in her podcast, and we were having a conversation about that, and it sort of made me think that I, I've been trying to live in the now myself. And she kind of like grabbed me by the, no, no, you want to die the richest man in the graveyard. You don't want to spend it all and you don't, and you can't take it with you, but you want to leave it and you want to leave it in a way that's meaningful uh, to your family. And I've got three kids um, and it would be great to live, leave that legacy to them as well. You know, and if, you know, if I could leave a $500,000 annuity every year to each one of those kids, that would be a good thing. And I I sort of shifted my thinking in and around that. And I I guess everything that I'm doing now is, is more focused towards that because I've got everything that I want. I live the life that I want, you know, there's really not much more that I need as I live like a hundred meters from the beach in a beautiful apartment. Everything's good. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's happy. I've got a pocket full of money. What else is there? Well, build a bloody legacy, will you? And Selena kind of shook me up and did that. And I just like to hear your feedback and, and your thoughts on it. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So one of the things that I think about legacy that has to be addressed and often isn't addressed is legacies for whatever reason, and I don't know why or where, I should probably do more research here, but it has this very financial connotation to it. Um, but then when I asked you, you know, who do you remember from 200 years ago? Like what names come to mind that was alive 200 years ago about? Like what? It's not many. Give me, <laughs> give, give me some names. Who, who, who comes to mind even within the last 100, like 200, 100 to 200 years ago? So we're talking like 1920 and before. Who was alive before 1920 that you like still remember who they were across the world? Um, I, I guess from some of the books that I'm reading recently, Winston Churchill is someone who was born before then. Um, and that's, I, I guess he really left a legacy on the world, didn't he? Um, yeah. You know, as somebody, a prominent person in history like that. Um, gosh, that's, yeah. And I read a lot of history books and I can't think of one. That's, that's one <laughs> yeah, that comes to like mind only because out. I was reading a story recently. Yeah. So, I mean, you got Winston Churchill, you got Gandhi, you got Mother Teresa. These are more recent. You've got people who are founders of of countries in America. We know Thomas Jefferson, um, Abraham uh, Abraham Lincoln. We know um, George Washington on the on the other side of the aisle. You probably heard of Napoleon. Mm. You probably heard of um, Stalin, Lenin. 
you, you've heard of these people, right? And the, the point is, why? What did they accomplish that made them me- memorable? Mm. Christ. So we've heard, everybody knows or has heard of Christ. Now, whether they believe who he is, he is who he is, it doesn't matter, right? The fact is, he left a legacy, and the legacy often is something of meaning. It's some, it's something, it's an attribute. It's a it's a skill that they have. It's not necessarily money, right? In mm. America, we do have money legacies, financial legacies, the Rockefellers, yep. the JP Morgans, the Vanderbilts, um, the Rothschilds, people, if you're in the conspiracy world, you know about the Rothschilds, okay? But like, th- there are financial legacies, but that's so few and far between. There's not a lot of financial legacies, yet there's a lot of legacies out there. Mm. And I think legacy needs to be opened up more to not to everybody, not just people who have this desire to chase money. I yeah. mean, people who change the world, Bill Gates, whether you like him, love him, hate him, whatever, he changed the world with PCs. He saw something in the future that nobody thought was possible. Mm. And he, he chased it until now we have a computer in our, in our phone that was stronger and, and more effective than even the biggest computers. When he said there's going to be a computer in every household, yeah. right? Because of what his vision was Tesla right now, they're, they're setting their legacy for like, Hey, we're going to set this new thing that no, everybody thinks they're crazy. Nobody sees how it's going to happen, but they're <laughs> doing this. Um, Kennedy, John F. K., John F. K., JFK, when he said, hey, we're going to put a man on the moon. Like, that's a legacy, right? Like, what's something that you're doing that people are going to remember in six generations from now? And it could be income. Mm. Income's fine. Uh, but is that really what you want your kids to remember you for? Do you want your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren to think, man, he had so much money that I get a piece of that pie? Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, and that's cool. If that, if that's what gives you fulfillment, um, fantastic. I've never really, well, I guess I never really thought about it where, um, cause I, I think I've been t- thinking of it in financial terms, but you're quite right. Um, I, I lost my dad about five years ago. Um, it was five years ago, like a week and a bit ago or something like that. And, uh, I, I realized that was before I started all this podcasting and media stuff that I've been doing now for a couple of years. And I realized that I didn't know so much about my dad. I didn't know what he stood for when it came to this topic or that topic or certain things. And I think it's just because I'd never had that conversation with the guy and I'd never thought to ask him about those sorts of things. And when he, after he passed away, it's sort of like, I wonder what dad would think about that. And I often think that. And Mm -hmm. I do know that each time I record a YouTube video or I record a podcast or I record something that it goes out there in a public forum on somebody else's server somewhere, one day I'll be dead and gone as well. And my kids will go, I didn't know that about my old man. I didn't know my dad thought about those things. And, And I'm acutely aware that each time I do something like this, I'm recording a little piece of me because one day I'll be dead and gone as well. And that, that is a version of, of my legacy as well. I think that that's, that's pretty cool. Cause my dad didn't do that. And, and he sort of left that um, to, to, for me to figure out, like, I don't know what you stood for, man. Like who knows? Um, it's pretty interesting. Well, what about you? Uh, have, are you focused on financial legacy? Are you focused on changing the world? One PC, one computer, one household at a time. What are you focused on? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So that goes back to another story in my childhood. So you have to understand, uh, I was raised by an abusive mom and my way of saving myself from the abuse was to become uh, my mom, step into my mom's shoes and become the enforcer in my house so that everything got done so that we didn't get beat. Okay. Now, 
that that's that's what I, I mean we all have savior complexes mine is mm. like as big as a freaking ocean so um yeah I, I thought very well of myself and it took my older brother kind of wrestling me down to the ground holding me down to, on this blue carpet um until i was done thrashing around screaming and finally i, I mean he just was holding me i was completely completely physically restricted. I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Once I finally was like, fine, I give up, you know, then he said, Sam, this is exactly like this level of restriction is how your, your siblings feel when you walk into a room emotionally, the tension, the, the, the energy is like, I better not screw up or Sam's going to beat me up. I better do what he says because Sam's going to beat me up. Right. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm trying to help these people. I'm thinking of like Thanos, right? He's trying to clear the the world of all wickedness or all strife by eliminating half the world because he thinks that that's going to help, right? That was me. Thanos thinking, hey, I'm going to just obliterate anything that doesn't flow by my thing and that'll create peace. It didn't. It created a lot of anxiety, stress. And more importantly, I was really rude to my, I mean, you'd have to go look at my sister's or or hear them on YouTube. You can go, I think it's just Danita Knickerbocker, D-A-N-I-T-A, Knickerbocker. And you can find her on YouTube. And her voice is beautiful. All of my sisters have these beautiful voices. But during that period of my life, when I was just leading out of terror, I tore them down, told them how terrible their voices were, told them just how terrible of humans they were. I never wanted to hear a female sing. It sounded like uh cat scratching a chalkboard. Like it just was really rude to them, destroyed their confidence to now when, when they go to sing you, and you go listen to their voices. There's no, most of these, there's not any filtering on it. They're just beautiful voices. Um, they're scared to sing in public. You go have them sing in public and they will like, they're, they're trembling, they're crying, they're shaking. They can't do it. And um, in that moment, when my brother kind of did that to me, then over the next few weeks, I realized the damage I'd done to my family. Mm. And, and that was just, I mean, it's not okay with me. And it's a constant reminder every time I see my sisters that I did, I, I, my actions have lasting effects. Yep. And so my legacy now is I want to give somebody the belief, the confidence in themselves that they can go do and be whoever they want to be. Like if, if Sam's legacy in six generations from now, or, or when I'm dead and gone is he believed so much in people. He could take somebody who doesn't believe in themselves and turn them into a rock star because he believed in them enough that they chose to believe in themselves. Like that would be my ultimate legacy. And finances is part of that. Cause the reason that most people don't do what they want to do is because they, they'll tell you one thing. They don't have the, the money to do it or they don't have the time. And if somebody says they don't have the time to do it, they're, they're really saying they don't have the money. Yeah. Right. And so for me, that's what that's where finances comes in is I want to give people the financial confidence to go live their dreams, go live their legacy because it's the right thing to do. We've all walked by somebody who's homeless on the street. We've all done it. And we've all had the thought, man, I wish I could help that person. But why do we just keep walking? Why do we turn the other way? Mm-hmm. It's because our soul doesn't like to the, the, to confront the fact that we did not do enough so that we could be of service to somebody else. Our soul doesn't like that. So instead of letting our soul face that rejection of ourselves, we turn away so we don't have to feel the pain rather than digging in and saying, Hey, what do you need? How do I help you? Well, I was busy. I was on my way somewhere. Okay. So you denied your, your internal reaction of love because you were too busy doing what you wanted to do. Okay. Mm. And that's fine. Like, I'm not saying that's wrong. If that, if that suits you, then go for it. I know for me, I hate that. I hate walking by somebody thinking, man, I wish I could help them. I think every, anybody who's listening to this, if you're a bum, 
and I, I say that and with love. Okay. I'm not, love. I don't know what else to call you. You're homeless. <laughs> you're, you're suffering from homelessness. I and mean, we have all these politically correct ways of saying this. Okay. And you're holding a piece of cardboard on the road, either draw or go to the library, print out the Venmo uh, QR code, put it on there. And if I see you, I will donate to you, but I don't carry cash. So you'll never get cash from me on the street. You hold up a sign, I'll Venmo you 10 bucks, right? I don't mind giving people money, but if you're asking for cash still, you got to get update with the times. Like I, there's people who want to serve you that don't have cash. And that's just a reality. So, but, but I, anyways, I, I want to be remembered as somebody who helped, believed in somebody else enough that they were able to believe in themselves. I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Sam, I want to, I want to talk about uh, mindset. Uh, mindset is a very big part of what I've kind of developed in this podcast and this business into in the last couple of years. And it's really been born out of all the asking of so many people that say to me in feedback, Hey, I love your show. I love that guest. That was really cool. I'm thinking about doing X and I'm standing on the cusp of going all in and doing that. What should I do? And I created a masterclass about all of that. And that masterclass is kind of like a book, I suppose. I sat down to write a book, but I realized that I didn't want to really write a book. I wanted to do it on camera and I wanted to share my view of the world. And it's a collection of everything that I learned in the military after 10 years and 15 years as an entrepreneur as well. And really it's, it's everything that I've kind of learned in my adult life to get me to where I am, to be as successful as I am, to be able to fit as much as I can into each and every day. And, you know, I, I don't buy into personality types. I don't buy into a disc assessment or a Myers-Briggs or some garbage like that. Because if you take that test today, in two weeks time, you take the test again, you might get a different result. And you are not the person that you are today. You're not the same person you are today as you were two months ago. Because a bunch of different things have happened to you in two months that have really changed the way that you look at the world and the way that you look at things. Your kids grow up, your kids do things, you your missus might do something, your friends or your family do something that really changes your outlook on the world. I, I had an experience recently that um, where I was, I was pretty badly hurt. Um, I was injured and I was left to my own devices for about half an hour before I was rescued. And it was a, it was a pretty, for lack of a better word, it was a pretty shitty experience. Um, I fell down, broke my ribs and had a collapsed lung, couldn't get up. It was nighttime and I was stuck. And then just last week, uh, my mum sends me a text message and she says, hey, did you hear what happened to Donna? And Donna is my my brother's partner, my sister-in-law. And I said, no. And she was roller skating and she was standing still on her roller skates and she fell backwards and put both of her hands out and broke both of her wrists at the same time. And it just gives you a different perspective on the world, right? Where you go, it's a cringy story because you, you can visualize yourself just standing there and slipping backwards and falling on your bum and, and breaking your hands like that. And she's got four kids and breastfeeding a baby, right? Two broken wrists, two surgeries, really uncool thing. And I don't buy into, I don't buy into uh, personality assessments because my view of the world after hearing Donna's story is completely different to my view of the world after I fell down and broke my ribs and was left to my own devices for half an hour before I was rescued. And it's all about mindset. It's about the decisions that you make. Your mindset is completely related to the decisions that you make at the time you make them 
based on your cultural and your social status and based on your financial status as well. And I'm interested to hear some more about what you think about mindset and, and how you teach people in your business in and around those things. Yeah. Another great question, man. These are good. I, I love it. So mindset for me, uh, the first thing that I had to do to really analyze and be comfortable with creating my my mindset was two things. One, I had to accept some truths or, or things that seemed true, right? One is that we're all brainwashed. I'm brainwashed, you're brainwashed, and we, we all brainwash ourselves every day. Like it, it's a constant brainwashing. That's, that's what's happening every day. So one, I had to accept that about myself. The other thing is I had to un- unlearn certain things that people had taught. And you'll find it in language all the time that there's good and bad, there's left and right, there's there's right and wrong. And all these things, they, they serve a purpose, I think, um, in a society and in a culture and trying to structure and have rules and make sure that we can all have some level of expectations and certainty and they serve a purpose. However, when it comes down to you becoming all that you can be, if you believe in right and wrong or good and bad, you, you are subconsciously condemning your, your energy every time you don't live perfectly in alignment with what is right, wrong, good, all those things. And, and it doesn't make sense. Like, why do that to yourself? So for me, I had to accept that I'm brainwashed and that it's, it's a possibility of changing. And two, I had to unlearn that there was such a thing as good and bad that there was such a thing as right and wrong in my life. There's no such thing as, uh, I, I just, I refuse to use that language in my life. Um, I changed it. Right. And, and again, it's, it's all about language patterns yeah. uh, and what you're used to. So depending on where you are in the world, you may use different words for, for this, but essentially, um, what I think comes down to is does this serve my ultimate objective or does it not? Beautiful. Like, I love if it, it doesn't mm. discontinue it, if it does, keep doing it. Right. And, and this gets you into hot water. Cause some of you are like, so are you telling me I should get divorced because my wife, she's always tearing me down. Look, I'm not telling you to get divorced, but I can tell you what I would do. If I'm in a relationship that doesn't serve me, I'm exiting the relationship. That's mm. not because I don't love the people in that relationship. It's actually because I respect them enough to know that I'm not at my best and people in my life deserve me at my best. And I deserve, and they deserve to be at their best and they can't be at their best if I'm constantly bringing them down either. And so it's, it's actually really respectful to, to understand your boundaries and then hold to your boundaries, but start thinking of life as far as what serves me and what doesn't serve me. So that's number, those are the two things. And then the third thing that I had to learn and accept, and this is hard to accept um, because once you fully accept this, then it comes with a whole nother level of um, of like, it's a weight, right? When I first realized that I was like the purpose of me being on this planet for me was to become a creator for me to learn and grow and become, and, and to constantly be creating. Honestly, the, the only thing I wanted at that point was to be buried under a mountain disappear. Right. Cause that's such a Cause the thing is, it's not just about where you're going. It's not just about the fact that you're, that you were meant to create in the future. Once you realize that you are a creator Mm. You have to take complete responsibility and accountability for all the shit that's going on on your in your life right now. All yep. the all the abuse, all the divorce, all the porn habits, all of the everything that you have in your life that you currently have that you don't like, you are 100% responsible for. Right? And, and and there's people who are like, "Well, what about if I got raped?" Look, I'm not saying you're necessarily responsible for somebody raping you, 
but you're 1000% responsible with how it affects you. And you get to make that choice. And if you're choosing to be a victim of it, that's your choice. Like you got to own that. And I'm not saying it's wrong. If it makes you happy, if it serves you to be a victim, be a victim, but don't bitch about being a victim when, when you don't want to be a victim. And then when I say, well, stop being a victim, then oh, I can't, I have to No. No, sorry. Like you either are going to take accountability or you're not. You expect that person to take accountability or you don't. And so that was the third thing that I had to accept. And that was hard for me. Honestly, it took me probably four or five months to finally like actually have confidence in my own self again, because of what I had created up to that point in my life was terrible. And all I could think about creating was more horror, right? At that Mm -hmm. point in my time, I was like 14, 16 years old, somewhere around there. And I was like, heavily, heavily addicted to pornography, like, like weird captive and weird, weird shit, like really weird things. And so my mind, all I could think about creating was really weird, not good things. And so the identity of like, bam, you're supposed to be a creator and you need to take accountability for everything that is going on in your life. Like that was just like, I don't even want to be present anymore. I just would rather never have to be there. But that took me about six months to get okay with. And now it's honestly the most liberating thing that if I don't like a circumstance in my life, I can change it. Like that's the most hopeful, loving, vibrant thing in life is that if you don't like the position, situation, circumstance that you're in, in life, you can change it. It doesn't have to remain that way. It's the most optimistic thing I can think about sharing. And for some people, it terrifies them, shakes them, shakes them to their core, and they'd crucify me for saying it. Mm. But I believe it to be the truth, and it serves me to believe it. So, And so those are the three things that I, as far as mindset, you ha- I had to finally just be willing to accept that I brainwashed. I had to accept or, or let go of the fact that there was right and wrong. And then I had to accept that I'm a creator. And those three things like transformed my life more than I think any other three beliefs that I hold, it's those three, three beliefs that transform and guide my life. Do you, do you find, uh, you, you seem like a very centered person. You seem like you know yourself really well. Did that help you to know yourself, to learn yourself, to get to know you? Oh yeah, completely. And, and I think it, it came, I mean, it's so funny because it comes in stages, right? I, you have these enlightening moments and then you got to put them into practice and start testing them out. It was actually really funny. So I was at a retreat with my wife. We were doing some personal development and the the leader of the retreat said, hey, write down some all these things that fulfill you. For 20 minutes, just write down things that fulfill you. Okay. And don't let your paper, your pen come off the paper until you're done, from, mm-hmm. until I say you're done. So we write this down, all these things that fulfill us. And I would recommend this strategy to anybody. In fact, I created a journal because of this, how enlightening this experience was for me and my wife. I created a journal that you can find that on, uh, on Amazon as well. It's just called the fulfillment journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it just guides you through these questions. But so I'm writing this down. What fulfills me in my faith? What fulfills me in my family? What fulfills me in my fun? What fulfills me in my finance? Um, what fulfills me in my fa- all these things, right? So I'm writing the faith, family, fitness, finance, fun. What fulfills me in all these areas? Well, the, the exercise ends. And so then it's time to share or like look over and say, how much of this stuff are you actually doing? <laughs> and, and this is the fascinating thing for me. Like 90% of that stuff on my list is happening either daily, weekly, or at least monthly. 90%. My wife 
out of her whole list of stuff, maybe two or three things a month. I was just thinking in my mind, as you're saying that I'm thinking fun, fitness, all of the things I'm like, yeah. And I, and I think I'm in that category as well. Just not, I'm not doing enough things that give me fulfillment or joy. Yeah. So, so for me, it's like, I, I've structured my life to only, as soon as I became aware that I could create my life, right. Mm. I just do crap that fulfills me. If it doesn't fulfill me, don't do I it. don't do it. I, I had this belief, you know, when I was younger, cause, cause of how many kids we had, it was like your responsibility to eat your share of the food mm. because it was crappy food. And if we didn't eat it that meal, then we had to eat it the next meal. So it was like one, it was wasteful if you didn't finish it. And so we all had to finish it mm. and it was your responsibility to eat your portion. Right. So net, so growing up, I always over ate, I always over ate, over ate, over ate, over ate. And then finally, when I became like more conscious now, when I'm full, I don't care about wasting food. Now you can say, Oh, that's terrible. There's people in Africa who need it. Look, the food that I eat, would not be good enough for an African to eat by the time it gets to Africa. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be rude or, yeah. or like, it's a fact. <laughs> it's facts, right? So it, when, when you eat more fresh food, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. But here's the deal. So I don't feel bad about being wasteful of food because my body and how I feel is more important than whether that food gets finished. Right. And so it's these little beliefs you don't even think about are, are affecting you, but they're affecting you overeating really, really, really bogs down your entire being. Mm. Uh, and so, so anyways, it's little things like that, but I'm, I've structured my life to just fulfill myself because of identifying, Hey, what really, who is Sam? So much time that introspection I've got when I, <laughs> another funny story, right? So I got married to, uh, when I was dating my wife, I've been journaling since I was eight years old. Um, like almost every day of my life since I was eight years old. So we decided we're going to go on the eight, five hour car drive up to my parents' house so she can meet my family. And I brought my stack of journals, five journals. And I'm like, Hey, read it all, you know, all the shit, all the dumb things I've did, all the immoral things that Sam's like everything. It's all in my journals. Yeah. And what's most important about the journals and what really like my wife took away from it is the way I processed information. I've got years, decades of processing information into great, into gratitude, processing information into things that serve me, processing change and transformation. And so she was reading that. She's like, okay, I can see, I got to grow up with Sam because I read from eight mm. years old on, but also I can see the way he thinks. I can see the way he's going to deal with things. I can see the way he's going to deal with me and react to me and his internal thoughts. And so, yeah, I, I, I've spent years getting to know myself and really structuring me to be exactly uh, like be in fulfillment zone as, as much as possible. And I would recommend it. Like if you're not doing something that like, and I define fulfillment these ways, either you get butterflies, you're so excited about doing it. <laughs> you're like just tears of gratitude. Like you're just sitting there and it comes up over you. Your, your throat starts swelling up. You just can't help, but start tearing up because you're so just freaking grateful for what's going on in your life. Um, so that, or your, your, the other thing is like, I, I don't know how it is in Australia, right? Cause do they have Christmas in Australia? Is there even snow? No snow. We don't shovel the sunshine, mate. No, dang. <laughs> um, the sand then no. So, so what would keep you up at night? Like what would, what would you be willing to lose sleep over? Right? Mm. Like Christmas night or Christmas Eve when you're a kid and you're so excited, you're staying up late because you can't wait to, to, uh, 
get the presents. And then you stayed up till like two in the morning. Then you wake up at four because you just can't sleep about how excited you are. What lights you up? Like what really turns you on and would cause you to lose sleep? That's fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? So what are those things? And then schedule the journals that I created. It's designed to help you schedule at least one thing that fulfills you into your life every day. And then again, because we want to reprogram our brain, we're brainwashing ourselves. We write down, how did we experience fulfillment? So we actually journal about how it unfolded. And then the next question is, next time I experience this, how can I make it more fulfilling? Right? So you're reprogramming yourself to compound that fulfillment every time you experience it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Sam, it's uh, it's been great uh, getting your insight um, to, to mindset and understanding how it is that you think. And I really appreciate you sharing that. All right. I want to move on to, uh, to ask you a little bit about your podcast. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. Fantastic. So, um, I'm going to be launching another aspect of it. So that's exciting for me, but currently, um, I went through a few different phases right now where it's at, is I inv- I interview multimillionaires and, and high-level entrepreneurs who have created a legacy. Most of them, they're financially successful. They don't need any more money. They literally have turned into passion. The, po- the focus of the podcast, it's called Fu- the Fuel Your Legacy Show or Fuel Your Legacy Podcast. The focus is helping people exactly what this go all in is. It's almost like the same objective. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that tips the scale? What is it that helps you quit corporate prostitution and go from, um, working for somebody else, going, selling your hours, selling your life, selling your family's experiences to the highest bidder to living life on your own terms. What, like, what's that switch specifically, right? You can go all into your business or into somebody else's company if you want. But most people that I talk to, they, they work a job because they have to, they need the income, they need whatever. They don't work a job because they absolutely love it. Yeah, right? right. They literally will go to another job if it pays them better and gives them the same result. Yeah. And I just think that's sad that you've totally surrendered everything that you are, your goals, your dreams, your hopes to big business, corporate uh, corporations, right? And so for me, the podcast is really designed to help you see, because everybody has a story. Every entrepreneur went through something. They started somewhere. They built, they had a defining moment in their life where they said, you know what? Enough is enough. And they just jumped in. Some people Uh, jumped in both feet. Some people said, Hey, let's do the splits for a while. Let's have this career. Let's build something on the side until we can go all in. And and it's different for everybody. And, and it's not necessarily whether one is right or wrong, but that's what the podcast is really designed for the questions. They're they're really designed for that. And then you get to find out, Hey, all these high level entrepreneurs, what legacy are they building and why are they building it? How do they actually want to be remembered? And almost none of them I think I've only had one person who says they, he wants to be remembered for his money. Mm. Almost everybody else, they want to be remembered for helping others. They want to be remembered for serving. They want to be remembered for some of them. They don't even want to be remembered. Like some of them are like, I don't mm. want to be remembered. I hope they forget about me. I hope they're so focused on them becoming their own self that they forget that I gave them that ability. Yeah. So, so it. it's just different, but that's what the podcast is about. Fuel your legacy. It's on pretty much every podcasting app that you can do. And if you can't find it, go to uh, uh, samnickerbacher.com and then go to the Fuel Your Legacy page and you can listen there. Well, we'll make it nice and easy for the people listening to this podcast. Just take a little peek at your phone and the link to the podcast will be right there. And if you're watching on YouTube, just scroll down and the link will be right there.
right, Sam, as we're bumping up against an hour here, mate, thank you so much, by the way, for coming on the Go All In Show. I really appreciate you sharing your view of the world and sharing your story as well. I appreciate that. I can't let you leave the show without putting you in the Go All In podcasters hot seat, like many podcasters do. It's a little bit of fun to close out the show. A couple of quick random questions. Hey, before all this COVID nonsense and carry on that was happening, I just nothing I love more than going to the airport, getting on a plane and going somewhere. Is there a favorite place that you know about that I might not know about that I should, should go to? I hear Utah is pretty good. I've had a few people from Utah on the show before and they're like, dude, you got to get here and, and check it out. Yeah. I mean, it depends, it depends on what you love. So for me, I love history. You mentioned earlier, you read history yep. books. My favorite place I've ever been, I still think Italy, Italy wins it for me so far. Like I loved I loved Rome. Um, I did not, I was not there long enough. I was there for two weeks. It was not long enough. Like I, I want to go back there. Southern France is beautiful. Um, And then I spent two years in Scotland and Ireland. And I I don't know that I would want to go live there for two years again, but it's a, it's an amazing, like magical place. Like it's so cool over there. The people, um, Super. I mean, probably similar to Australia. I don't know, but I know they're not in 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 America. There's you don't find people like that in America very often. Everybody is just relaxed. They're just crazy stuff going on always, <laughs> but but they're relaxed. They're funny. They're they're always willing to uh, to have a laugh with you. Mm. Um, and then the 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 countryside is just green all the time, like 24 seven, yeah. it's green. Yeah. Leaves come in and go, but the grass is green all the time. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful. I, I've loved it over there. That's, those are places that I would go multiple times and not feel bad about it. It's so beautiful. Also Tennessee, if you're, if you like waterfalls, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been a lot of places, but Tennessee has some of the most beautiful waterfalls that you can, like they're fun to play in waterfalls. Um, yeah, nice. So I was, I was watching a movie the other day with my missus and, uh, it was filmed in Italy and it was in and around Rome and Venice and, um, in the Vatican and all of these sorts mm-hmm. of places. And as I was sitting there watching, I was just watching, just watching a movie like a normal person. And my missus is like elbowing me. Hey, I've been there. Oh, we went there and we did this. And I'm like, that was kind of all right. Like the first and the second time. And then by the tenth time, I'm like, "Shut up, Lee! I'm trying to watch the movie." All right, I get it. We're gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> so and I have to tell it's it, you it. Said this. Yeah. It's it's so amazing, and it's cheap. I don't know what it is. You guys got a few more hours to fly from Australia from yeah. from from Utah. It's just about as expensive to get to Italy as it is to Hawaii. Oh, really? And, and I, I take Italy over Hawaii every day of the week. <laughs> personally, that's just me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, uh, Sam, tell me what's a skill that you're working on at the moment that you haven't quite mastered. Dude, leadership. Leadership is um, specifically, so so it's not just leadership, but specifically to be the last one in the room to share your opinion as the leader. Mm. So I think too often in leadership, and I've I've seen it in myself, and I I don't know what book I picked this up from, but um, just to get everybody else's opinions, because if as a leader, if you're too forceful, especially for me, like I know as a leader that when I speak, people just tend to like accept it as fact. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, push back. I want to grow. But if people just accept my tone and everything as like, well, he knows he sounds confident. So he knows what he's talking about, dude. I'm, I'm just as unclear. I'm just as clueless to what I'm talking about as you are when you speak. Right. Mm -hmm. We all are just figuring this thing out. So I need people to push back from me. And for me, because of my tone, it doesn't happen if I speak first. And so 
um, it's better to say, hey, here's the stated objective. How could we accomplish that and get each person's input and then take that into consideration? Because um, otherwise, if I say, hey, here's the stated objective, here's what I think we could do, then everybody says, yep, 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 yep. And I never get to grow. Yeah. And so so that is, the, honestly, it's it's a bane of my existence, trying to build a team, trying to build a company culture. That mm-hmm. is like that is something that I'm feverishly working on that I just it's hard. It's, it's betraying everything that I am naturally Mm. to to be able to say, look, I'm just going to let them talk and not butt in, not interrupt, not interject my ideas, just make notes. And then at the end speak. So that's, that's something I'm working on. Honestly, it's, it's very much a work in progress right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard skill, that's for sure. One of the things that I, I suffer from the same thing, and I, I think that comes from instructing and being in the military, you know, you get in front of a room and I'm able to, to command their attention and to be able to do that, but you rarely get pushbacks. And one of the things that I learned to do was to set objectives and give the objectives to my teams and not get in the way of any of it. So he, here, is the, um, here is the outcome that I'm seeking. I want you to make that happen for me. And they, they always say, well, what do you want me to do? And it's like, well, I don't really care what you do, get it done. <laughs> and, and I get out of the way. And sometimes they will come back to me with a plan. And sometimes they'll come back to me with questions or an opinion on something like that. But rarely I get involved in the minutiae of day-to-day activity anymore. I hand that off to my team and how it occurs doesn't really matter to me. Could it be more efficient? Yes, absolutely. But it's given me that it's helped me build more leadership capital in the process because what it looks like to them is that I'm giving them all the responsibility and I trust them and I've got faith in them. And if I trust them and I have faith in them, they seem to step up and they deliver and execute in the way that I need them to do it in accordance with the plans that we give to them as well. There's always boundaries there, of course. Um, But yeah, just handing off responsibility instead of telling people what to do, I tell them, what they need to get done instead of telling them how to do it or what to do. And that seems to have worked real incredibly well for me. When they come back, I'm, I'm honestly curious, cause this is like, this is something I'm working on. I just am struggling with, but when they come back and say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start. How do you like coach them through that process without infusing them with what you would do? Cause I think the problem is I want like, why I don't need a bunch of clones of Sam, like a clone yeah. of Sam would suck. I, I would hate living with myself. I'm going to be honest, right? Like I'm probably an arrogant person to be around. <laughs> um, so I don't want more of me. I want more of other people. So how do you do that? Like guide them without infusing what you would do into it? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I use a methodology called flawless execution. Um, and that's how fighter pilots get stuff done, right? Fighter pilots have a 98% mission success rate. And what they do is they plan brief, X gap. So sorry, they plan brief, execute, X gap and debrief everything that they do. So when somebody comes to me and says, Rob, how am I going to do it? I don't know where to start. They've got a nine step planning process that they go through. So I can give you that process if you like, and they tick off all of those nine steps. And then once they've finished those nine steps, then they go and brief it to their team. So usually the manager of the team or a team leader will go through the nine steps, then brief their team. They'll brief me. They'll go and execute. And they're going from point A to point B. And periodically throughout that journey from point A to point B, what we do is get do the X gap. And the X gap is a two by two by two. It takes you two minutes to tell me where you're up to, 
what you're going to do about it and what's going to happen. And are we closing the gap from where we are to where we want to be? So having like a dedicated management structure in place that everybody follows, that's the same for everybody, then everybody can speak the same language. So where are you in relation to project X? You're going from point A to point B. Well, I'm on, I'm on step number four of the planning process. Okay, cool. Are you stuck there? All right. You're stuck there. Let's have a look at where I can unstick you there. So giving them some structure around the way that they actually get things done and using a management system uh, like flawless execution. There's a bunch of different ones you can use. There's agile, there's scrum, flawless execution is a version of those sorts of things. And it gets everybody on the same page and it allows you to get out of the way as the leader as well. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that, that would be great if you can email that over some. I'd love to take a look at that because that's like, honestly, that's the biggest thing holding me back right now is I just don't, I never learned leadership in a in a healthy way. I was modeled unhealthy leadership. I forsook that for leading from love, which I, I do my best to now, but sometimes leading from love, the, the, the loving energy is is not a structured energy. It's a mm-hmm. very much as it goes, hope for things work out. Like that's the energy of love. It's not regimented warrior focused energy. And yeah. so I, I I can lead from there, but that it needs some of the structure and it can't, I haven't been good at mixing both, honestly. So yeah, that, that's, that's where my, that's what holds me back. It is true. Interesting dynamic. One, one of the, one of the really tricky things in my business, so I do a lot of design work. So there's always something to be designed and I'm working with clients and whatnot all the time. And, and the hardest thing in fact, I think it's the hardest thing in all leadership is to create a design brief and hand it off to the designer. And then they come back with an iteration for you and you, you're like, is that what I asked for? And then you go back and read the dot points of things that you've given somebody and you're like, that's exactly what I've asked for. And if you've, if you've been too regimented in what it is that you asked for, you'll get exactly what you asked for. But I learned in design, if you give somebody the latitude to use their creative skills and their design prowess because that's what they do and that's what they're trained in. And you just give them more high level guidance. They come back and usually knock it out of the park for me. And I realized that it's got nothing to do with my design briefs, but it's got everything to do with the way that I'm communicating my, my, uh, my intention and I'm communicating my needs to somebody like that. And leadership at the end of the day is just communication, right? It's a really interesting. Oh, absolutely. Subject. Yeah. Let me get you some stuff. All right, last one for the uh, for the hot seats going a bit longer than I thought it would. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Oh, the best piece? Dude, honestly, I think it just has to do with like get started. Like just do something. Ah, I don't know. It's probably two. It's do something and show up. Like mm. there's so many people, especially in my business, who think, oh, well, I'll just show up occasionally. It's like, no, like you got to show up all the time. When I'm, when I'm working on something, I show up to the office every day, rain or shine holidays. I don't care. I'm showing up and showing up is like, I feel like 90% of my success. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not smarter than people. My communications are pretty subpar. Many people like openly tell me they don't like me and the way I communicate. And the reality is like showing up will win most people who who are maybe better, more talented, more skilled. If you're showing up consistently and then you're just getting started, even if you like you fail forward, mm. if you're showing up and you're getting started, 
I don't see how you could fail long term. It might take a while. You'll spin your wheels maybe, but long term you'll be there. So that I don't know. Those two are probably the best things that I've ever been told. Beautiful. Love them. Love them. All right, Sam, if people want to connect with you, mate, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, great question. So to probably my website's the best place. So that's samnickerbacher.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Sam Knickerbocker, Facebook, Sam Knickerbocker, LinkedIn, Sam Knickerbocker, YouTube, Sam Knickerbocker, right? So anytime you're searching any of those, um, Google, um, almost anybody who Googles me, you're either going to find me or a Baptist preacher. Um, so <laughs> I'm the one who's not the Baptist preacher. Uh, funny. Anyway, that's a whole nother story about branding, but, um, yeah. So, so my website, samnickerbacher.com and there's contacts forms in there, ways you can email me, phone numbers, schedule an appointment. If you're, if you're in the States, I'd love, I'd love to, to meet with you. Um, if you're out of the States, still love to meet with you. There's just a limited about what I can help you with from a financial perspective, but I'm happy to help any way I can. Fantastic. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to Sam's website and socials are right there. And if you're watching on YouTube, just scroll down and they're right there in the show notes. Mate, as we uh, bump up right against an hour here, thank you again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I wanted to give you the opportunity for the parting comment, the final piece of wisdom from Sam Nickenbocker today on the Goal In podcast. What have you got for us, mate? Go all in to getting coached, man. Like for me, when I chose to... be willing to invest in a coach and invest in myself. That's when my, that's when my life changed from a business development and growth perspective. So uh, somebody told me this on my last podcast, he said, you don't make right decisions. You make decisions, right? Mm, I love it. I love it. Wonderful piece of wisdom to close out the show. Thanks again for coming on, mate. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to speaking with you soon. It's bye for now. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Sam, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to his website, social media, and his LinkedIn are right there. So you're not going to have to go poking around in Google looking for him. And make sure you pop on over to iTunes and you listen into his podcast and head over to Amazon and check out his books as well. I've got a quick question for you, and it's this. What is it that you're doing to close the gap from where you are currently to where it is that you want to be? Do you have a plan? Do you have a system? Do you have something to support you that's in place to help you to get to that place? If you're just starting out in business, considering a business, or even if you've been a seasoned entrepreneur for years, then I've created a masterclass that will give you the strategies and the tactics to get you moving, to gather some momentum, and to break through to the next level in your life. If you'd like to find out some more about the masterclass, hop on over to goallin.com.au and click on the menu item that says masterclass. Now, if you've got a message or some feedback for the show, you can reach out via the Goalin socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goalin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. I want someone who can please me. I want somebody who cares. I need a lover who never leaves me.
I've been searching my life. 